0: Hi, this is Carrie Spaulding, professional coach, and I'm here talking today with Ray Paglia Rulo about her career transition from barista to fundraiser. So Ray, thanks so much for being here today. Tell me a little bit about your career path from start to now. It has been random
1: to say the very least. I never uh as a kid pictured myself in a job. I thought I would do things that made me happy, but I never once imagined any of them making me any money. So doing things that made me money was uh, accidental and just sort of happened. You know, whatever I happened to be good at or able to be trained at. So I had a long stint in the service industry, slinging coffee and doing customer service because I like to talk to people. The one thing I did know was that if I spent my day talking to people all day long, I would be happy. So I needed to find a job where I could just do that along with anything else that I needed to do. So working in coffee shops seemed really natural because the more you can talk to people and the more you can make people sort of enjoy your company, the better. And that's all I seemed to want to do. So everything else was extra and easy if the rest of it was happening in the right way.
0: So there were aspects of this job that you really liked. You got to work with people. You really enjoyed that. What made you want to make a change? And what were your first steps towards doing that?
1: I got sick of the erratic work hours and the fact that I didn't ever have a real weekend and that I didn't really have a social life uh, outside of my regulars and my coworkers. so I started asking around about real jobs, and I'm using the air quotes there because what's that? Right. Um,
0: and so what was your picture of what a real job should be?
1: Well, I guess it was the same as everybody's. You picture somebody sitting at a beige desk in a beige office with a beige computer, and <laughs> they're putting information into the computer that has little to no meaning to them personally. And that's, you know, and it was probably because both of my parents did that. So I I thought that's what you did. I didn't know that there was anything else
0: to do. I didn't know that there were there were jobs that were other things. So when where did that when did that shift happen for you? This idea of this from this picture of a real job to the idea that it could be something fulfilling you in a different way.
1: Um well, I mean that that didn't really happen until I got to the age where The people around me started to ask themselves honestly what was going to make them happy. You know, and that doesn't really happen until, I don't think it honestly starts happening until probably your mid-20s. You know, I think people, well, not for me and the people around me. I think that when you're a teenager and you're moving into your 20s, you're asking yourself that a lot. But you're also asking yourself that under the guise of your obligation, that you have to everybody else. Like you're asking yourself that through the lens of your obligation to your parents and through the lens of what they want from you and how much you might want that or resent that, you know? So it's never really a true question until you've been able to shed that a little bit. And I feel like that didn't happen for me or anybody I knew until our mid twenties when we finally realized that, that letting our parents down was going to be a natural part of life. That was not going to kill any of us. So that was when we started really saying, okay, what do I really want outside of what I, outside of what they wanted for me, outside of what I was grown up to believe I was going to turn into. And that was when people started their, you know, started making their own businesses and, you know, starting their own companies
0: or branching out in, in, in more risky ways than I So you ever had seen. you had friends around you who were branching out and starting companies and asking themselves this question. Yes. And what meanwhile what was happening with you? <laughs> um meanwhile I think I was trying to agree my need
1: for um my need for a really comfortable domestic life and personal fulfillment. And, uh, I knew that I, I knew that I was never going to be the kind of person who was going to be able to suffer for any kind of artistic endeavor because I liked being comfortable far too much. You know, I, I, I valued my creature comforts to a point where I knew I wasn't going to be, um, I wasn't going to be a struggling writer. Mm -hmm. That was never going to happen for, I wouldn't enjoy (laughs) writing If I wasn't going to brunch and you know, that, that you weren't drinking your
0: $7 latte. Yeah, you were doing it.
1: Exactly. Exactly. There were, there were things that I knew that I, that I wanted in my life more than, more than any of the creative endeavors that, that I felt drawn to. So I knew I was going to have to find something that paid the bills and also didn't make me want to kill myself and that left me enough energy at the end of a forty hour work week to do the other stuff because I still wanted to do all of that other stuff. I just knew that I didn't want that other stuff to be the thing I did every single fucking day. So so where did that lead you? Uh well I guess I I guess it led me to my first office job. At the nonprofit organization. Yeah. I applied to be the assistant to the president. I had no uh, No reason to believe that I could ever be the assistant to a president of anything, Um, but I was used to dealing with people with big personalities, and I was a very organized person normally. You know, I had been managing the schedule, hiring people, firing people, running a team of five to six self-involved college students who, you know, didn't want to clean or do anything, so I thought I could probably handle a 60-year-old guy running a company, you know, get him his coffee, keep him on track, whatever. Um, and rumor has it, uh, I, I had no, I had no experience, but my friend pulled my resume out of the pile and told her friend who was interviewing for the job to interview me anyhow, because I had a, a good personality. And, uh, when it came down to it, it was, it was between me, big personality, no experience, and
0: another girl, tons of experience, no personality. And I got it. So you had this seemingly unrelated coffee job, and you had you pulled out all these abilities and skills that you had, and sort of repackaged them. What process did you go through? Were there any tools or resources that were really helpful to you when you were doing that? It was actually my friend, my friend who was a couple of years older than me,
1: um, when I had told her that I was going to apply. And I said to her, I'm in no way qualified to do this. She was the one that said, you deal with people with big personalities every day. You manage a team of people and keep them on task. You set expectations for a group of people and hold them accountable if they don't live up to them. You have a list of things that need to get done every single day. And there are a group of patrons, customers that are counting on you to get them all done. Um, because they don't care if the coffee didn't get unloaded. They don't care if the trash didn't get taken out last night. They want their latte. And all of that makes you qualified to do other things. But I, you know, I was thinking linearly. I was thinking I'm qualified to work in a coffee shop. You know, it was, I was very limited. And it wasn't, uh, it wasn't until I got to be close with her that I started to think about, um, how my skills were transferable, and that what I was doing was going to make me uh, qualified to do other things. Because really, so many jobs are made up of the same four or five basic functions. That really just the details change who you're doing it with or to, you know, or what kind of what kind of world you're doing it in. But it's really just a handful of the same things: dealing with people, managing people. Making sure something gets done from A to Z, so it was, it wasn't until I got close with her that I realized that you know I am good at things, good at things that I need to be good at in the world. <laughs> you know and that and that shifted it for me, and that that definitely bought me
0: a ton of confidence that I didn't have before. so having yeah, this outside champion and a friendship, yeah, you know, was really yeah, and that's awesome one of the things that i do with clients who are in transition is talk to them about making i call it a list of champions like mm-hmm. who are the people in your life who are mm-hmm. going to champion you when you're in a change you know there are going to be people who tell you to be safe or who just can't think out of that framework that yeah. you're in yourself or even people that you think you know i would
1: i would include in the list of champions people that you want to be like people that you don't even know that you look at and you say God damn
0: yeah, I, I want to be like her that. so like who are your um, it, it, I sort of have, like, <laughs> champions who are, you know, imaginary friends right. who are, like, the fictional characters, you know <laughs> what I mean? Like, mine's Leslie Knope, because I, <laughs> I was always, like, I wouldn't be as nerdy about my job as Leslie Nope. Um, and, and, like, heroes are role models, you know? So, like, people who are famous, like, real people. So, like, mm-hmm. who, who are your, sort of, champions or role models who are, who you wanted to emulate or... Or your imaginary friends? <laughs> Gosh. Um, all
1: of my role models are, I mean, none of my role models do what I do. None of them. I don't have any fundraisers that are my role models. So I'm not there yet. Yeah. All of my fundraisers are uh, cookbook authors.
0: <laughs> all of your fundraisers are cookbook authors? <laughs> Did I say that? That's how I'm going to transcribe it. <laughs> all all of, of my role rad- models are cookbook authors. What is, it, what is it that you find inspiring about cookbook authors? <sighs> Um, they appreciate
1: everything down to the last crumb. Hmm. I like, uh, That's when what I was, talk- I like <laughs> <touching>. <laughs> when I was in college, I bought a, a book called The Gastronomical Me by MFK Fisher, just sight unseen. I just saw it and was like, that looks cool. Um, And it was just all about her, you know, finding uh, food and learning to appreciate food and sitting alone in a shitty apartment next to a radiator, drinking a flat, you know, stale glass of wine and a crusty piece of bread with butter that maybe had seen better days and loving every minute of it. And I was completely transformed by the idea that this woman had close to nothing and saw tons of heartache and had shit thrown at her from every angle and yet could take a plate of a rind of cheese and some weird grapes and, you know, the random stuff that you find and see the inherent value and beauty in every single little nugget that she had. Um... And I don't know, I've, I've, I've been using that book as a touch post ever since I was, you know, I was what, 18 years old when I found it. So basically for the last 10, 11 years, I've just been thinking about that book and rereading it and highlighting portions. And so, yeah, she's my hero, MFK Fisher. Mm
0: -hmm. So you had this wonderful role model hero in MFK Fisher and a champion in your friend who really encouraged you to go after this. What other mentors did you have?
1: Trying to relax into a, a job that I never thought I would have. Um, you know, the advice that I was given was to go and meet with my peers. You know, go and just go on the website of an organization that you like. Find a person that's doing the same job that you are or something similar. Ask them out to coffee. Asked to pick their brain. Nobody will ever turn down the opportunity to get a free cup of coffee and talk about themselves for two hours. And that was something that I, case in point, exactly. <laughs> this helps. Um, but that, I mean, that helped, you know. And and people people that you can ask, honestly, you know, I just started doing this and I've got no idea what I am doing here. I feel like I'm wearing an outfit that I've never seen before and my shoes are too big and what am I doing? Because chances are they started there. Chances are they had, they might still have no idea. They're just better at hiding it than you are or they're (laughs)
0: further along the path, which in its own way can be, validating, right? Absolutely. You, know, like you get the expertise or it's like, the, oh, I thought it was just me. Absolutely. No. Yeah. The, the number one thing that I
1: learned, the more people that I had coffee with and I was lucky enough to work with somebody that turned out to be one of my role models. She was a mentor to me and started out in the same way. She accidentally got into nonprofit work and then she accidentally got into development. And it wasn't until somebody showed her um, how she could make it her job, you know, instead of the job that she was being forced to Mm -hmm. do. And that person helped her relax into it and turn it into something that she could really own. And then she helped me do that. So I was lucky enough to be able to go into her office whenever I needed to and shut the door and scream, what the fuck am I doing? You know, and have her go, okay, I've been here. Here's how you get through it, you know.
0: (laughs) So you moved into the nonprofit world, not because of a passion for fundraising. Right. So it was 18 months as the
1: assistant to the president, which wasn't a challenging job in and of itself. So I was always looking for other things to do. I was always picking up extra writing projects, and I I really enjoyed meeting everyone that I met. You know, he was always having visitors and stuff, and, and I always got to know them, and they always really liked me, and I liked them, and I guess it got around that I was... Helpful, and that I knew everything there was to know about the place, and that I was good at talking to people. And so, the woman who ran the fundraising department, um, they had a need for somebody who could do administrative backup, you know, in supporting the department, but who could also answer the phone and take donations over the phone and talk talk to the people who called us up and wanted to give us money. You know, which requires a certain amount of interpersonal fuzziness. So they realized that I was that I was. Uh, Motivated, that I was personable. So they took me on and uh, trained me on the basics, you know, and just sort of let me go from there. Um, And it started out being totally administrative, and then the administrative work didn't really take up 40 hours a week. So I was left to do other things. So then instead of just taking the donations, I was thanking people for the donations, emailing them and calling them and doing that kind of thing you know and then and then i started seeing things we'd get a lot of um we get a lot of bequests that would come in and i'd say we don't have a program we don't have a planned giving program people just leave us in their will and <laughs> we just go oh thanks you know and we just deal with it why don't we have a program so that became okay you write the program oh shit okay <laughs> so that you know and then i was uh i was acting as um point of contact for the board of directors you know it's and all of this it was just basic where's this form? And, you know, here's my annual donation and how, you know, when is my term up? You know, stuff a monkey could answer. But from spending all of my time with them, I realized our bylaws are out of date. You know, people aren't taking the attendance policy very seriously. We don't have a diverse, and I started looking into, you know, is it normal for us to have nothing but 60 year old white men on the board? And I looked up diversity on nonprofit boards and no, it's not normal. And that threw me down a rabbit hole of research. And I ran it by my boss and said, I need to start looking into what the best practices are for this because we're clearly not doing any of them. And then I just started. So I sort of just made the job out of stuff that I felt like doing, but I still felt like I was wearing somebody else's clothes. I still felt like, the big shoes yeah, like giant shoes and a weird hat like what the what am I doing? Um, you know because the job comes with a stigma you know people think fundraisers are professional beggars that they just get paid to beg for money and they don't they get paid to connect people who are already feeling charitable to what they're feeling charitable towards and then I end up on a half hour phone call telling them all the different ways that it can make a difference and how it can make a difference. And it it wasn't until that started happening and and my sense of humor was still coming through, you know? That was the important thing. I was on the phone with people and I was still making jokes and making people laugh and saying sort of off-color, random comments, and they liked it. (laughs) And my colleagues would listen to me and they would say, how are you just, I don't, you're so good on the phone. How do you how do you come up with this stuff? And it was like, I, I talked to them in the same way that I talked to my friends. Mm-hmm. I talk to these donors in the same way that I would talk to anybody else. And that was the point where I realized I am, I, this is not the beige cube in the beige office with the beige computer with the meaningless data. I can find a way to have fun And to be you, and to be me while I'm doing it. And it was also um, a little bit of a struggle to get to the point where I realized that the thing that made me happy was not was maybe not going to be this grand, beautiful thing. You know, like sometimes you know people say the thing I'm most passionate about is underwater basket weaving, or it's something (laughs) it's something completely fantastic. And you look at them and you say, "Wow, I could never do that. You're so great." Mm-hmm. After doing it for long enough, I realized that the thing that makes me happy is talking to other people, just all of the all of the fucking time. I just want to talk to people all the time. That's all and uh, i didn't I didn't think that was a thing. I thought that <laughs> was just a part of my personality, but I didn't think that could be the thing that I love until I did this job and I realized that my personality could be um it could be the thing that made me a better fundraiser than anybody as opposed to the thing that I would have to work around. Okay.
0: So it's like the asset from from being a liability. Absolutely. To an asset. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Cuz I mean I've had trouble with my personality and my 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 sense of humor is too much for some people you know, and I get a little racy and, you know, I sometimes step over the line of what people are comfortable with. And I mean, I've gotten better at that, you know, trying to gauge what people are comfortable with and then adjusting to them because you clearly can't be Bobcat Goldthwait with everyone you meet. Like you have to adjust. But I, I, I think I think I was under the impression from the get-go that I was going to have to put on a suit of professional girl who always acts professional mm-hmm. and composes herself professionally. And, and, and when I realized that I could make a stupid joke over the phone and call somebody sugar or sweetie or honey and ask them about their shore house or how their Christmas shopping is going and they would give me more money because I did that, it blew my fucking mind.
0: So yeah, I love that. (laughs) Well, so, so it's like you find, find the thing that makes you weird or that you feel like you have to mask throughout your life and then find the work where it makes you awesome. Yeah. To be that way. Yeah. And it's so much easier than than trying to cover it up all the time or
1: trying to make it work for other people. It can you can just make it work for you. But yeah, it's I guess that's the trouble, is finding the job where you can be that weird thing and it will make you better at that job than any of any any of the people that you're working with.
0: Well what's so cool though and kind of interesting is you didn't Go through a checklist of like what job will make this work for me, right? You know, you landed, and then it's like you landed and then chose. Yeah, you chose to be there more intentionally than
1: oh yeah. Than you started absolutely, yeah. No, I don't. I don't think I really started to. I, I I was going because they paid me, and then I was going because I wanted to.
0: And, and it was where are you going now?
1: Well, now mm-hmm. that now that I realized that. That people are what make me happy and that I need to work somewhere, uh, that isn't really a bottom line kind of place that is in some way helping people, you know, how that happens specifically. I, I, I don't have, I don't have really strong, I mean, I, I, would like to work for a place that helps people. Mm -hmm. That's, that's as, that's as detailed as I'm getting right now. Um, so now now I guess I'm at the point where I realize that people make me happy talking to them, making them feel like giving money is an intensely meaningful thing for them. And doing it at a place that's making people's lives better. And I think I only am able to do that because I had the fortune of working with somebody who... When I was just doing what felt right every day and, you know, just sort of going on my gut instinct and kind of, you know, pawing my way through Mm. the dark and just hoping to God that it was going to, you know, turn out okay at the end of the day. Um, I was lucky enough to have somebody who listened to everything I did and saw everything I did and asked other people what they thought and then told me, you know, at our weekly meetings, you are doing a great job. Here are the reasons that you are doing a great job. I know you think that you're just pawing around in the darkness and just sort of doing what mostly feels okay, but I'm here to tell you that that's, that's, it's working. You're doing the right thing. And and that validation was like, I mean, that's, that's what helped me rewrite my resume into a way that, that made me sound like the rock star that she told me that I was, Mm -hmm. but I never believed it. Never until she told me. So yeah, I finally I finally believe I'm good enough at what I'm doing that I could pick where I work instead of just trying
0: to find a job. So that's what I'm doing now. If you could, it's like knowing what you know now and being who you are now, if you could either give advice to or talk to the ray of, like, before all this, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I, I don't know what moment you would pick to talk to, mm-hmm. um, but what would you... A lot of her could use some talking <laughs> <to>. <laughs> but, but What would you say, or what advice would you give, or what encouraging words would you have? I, I guess, you know, on first glance I would say, my advice would be,
1: ask yourself what's going to make you happy outside of... Everything you think that you should be doing. Making yourself happy will make other people happy. A lot of people think that taking care of yourself and doing things that make you happy, doing things that are just for you is an inherently selfish thing or it's a self involved thing or it's a narcissistic thing and it's not. And you know, it's it's a little bit it's a little bit fruity and weird because I was watching all these YouTube videos about electromagnetic waves and um So I sort of went out there, but science backs up the fact that when you are happy in whatever way you need to make that happen, that you emit literally happiness out of you scientifically. There is a 10 foot radius or something around me of happy because I'm happy and that will make other people happy. And uh, I spent a lot of my early 20s catering to the happiness and the wants and needs of other people and believing that that was going to buy me some kind of satisfaction because I knew that I knew that other people being happy made me happy. but it never occurred to me that my happiness was going to result <laughs> in their happiness, which was in turn going to make me even more happy. I didn't realize it started with me. I thought that I could be a completely selfless, doormat. I thought that I could give everything away and have nothing left and that somehow it would come back to me and I wouldn't have to take care of myself, that somebody else was going to do that for me too. And they're not. You can give everything you've got and you have no guarantee that anybody is going to give back as much as you're giving to them. When you take care of yourself, you're not making that demand on other people, right? Yes, you're not making demands of people that they are probably not going to be able to fulfill. Not to mention, I think that probably the happiness that you get back from giving everything of yourself and having nothing left is a hell of a lot less satisfying than it would be if it came from you. Because then it's coming from a true place. It's not coming from this need to be liked. Mm -hmm. It's not coming from this need to be validated or to be accepted or, you know, to not be left, you know, you let go of that obligation of needing people to, to sort of give you a gold star, you know, once you can give yourself the gold Mm -hmm. stars and once you let go of the need of everybody just validating your existence on this planet, once you can do that for yourself, your interactions with people start becoming more interesting and more fun and your relationships get better. And you start talking about things that matter and all, all of the superficial sort of negative stuff falls away because because you did the you did the work of making yourself okay with yourself. And then so your tolerance for bullshit gets lower. You know, you realize what you do want in other people or what you want to give other people. And I spent 25 years (laughs) not realizing that it was ever going to come from me, that I could unzip myself and let everything out and that I would have nothing and that that would make me a good person. That would make me the good person that everyone loved. And that was so unbelievably far from the truth. I can't believe it. And I'm, you know. I get mad that I thought that way for such a long time. Hopefully when
0: people read your interview,
1: they'll, <laughs> they'll get it a little <laughs> Oh my God,
0: she's talking to me. <laughs> I feel like we're well into a second interview. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: I mean, like I said, people love coffee and talking about themselves.
0: The end. The end. Ray Pagliarulo is a fundraiser in Philadelphia. This is Carrie Spaulding, professional coach. For more stories and resources to help you in your own transition, visit www.keryspaulding.com.